When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. Hello, TLP Podcast listeners, and thank you for joining us today. We hope you had a good holidays and are ready to freaking slay it in 2021. From what we're hearing from our clients, and I hope it translates to the rest of you, is that as a whole, dentists fared pretty well in 2020, considering. I know our clients across the board went on to increase production and collection numbers, even with being closed down for six to eight weeks. So what does that tell you about how time in the office relates to production and collection numbers? I think I think it was pretty eye-opening for several of my clients to be like, wow, we grew and I worked 34 less days last year. And I actually got that email uh, late last night. So that's why I pulled that number out of my head. So yeah, you know, it's it is good. We're all through it. Let's move on, onward and upward. Today I have my good Buddy Steve VDG. Steve, how you doing? How were your holidays? I am doing great, Justin. Thank you for asking. The holidays were perfect, really. My family, like my parents and some siblings and my wife's parents and siblings all have COVID right now. Nothing severe. Everyone's okay, but... Yeah, sounds perfect, Steve. <laughs> Just everything's perfect. But that meant we did a, we've done a nice staycation at home and it's been perfect. Just soaking up time with the kids it's kind of been a blast good what about you where are you at did you have a white christmas did you have a white sand christmas no we had no white christmas uh it was cold we're in missouri st louis where we live um that's where we're at right now for another roughly 20 hours tomorrow morning we head down to florida for the winter and i am i'm excited i'm ready to get out of town I'm ready to get to swarm weather and just uh, change the scenery, really. I know it'll be a little bit different this year than normal, but we head out tomorrow morning. It's always kind of one of those days of the year, you know, that we're all excited about and look forward to. That's so. awesome. It sounds like you're like some migrat- like migrating bird, like every winter, like the, the yeah. track southward starts. <laughs> That's why they call it snowbirds, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exciting, right? Yep, I'm a regal, majestic uh, snowbird, Steve. Anyways, but moving on. For those of you who don't know, I kind of look at uh, Steve VDG as kind of the mad scientist when it comes to running a practice. I've seen it in his own practice and his clients. And, you know, Steve didn't ask me to say this, but I just wanted to take the opportunity. Um, You know, Steve has managed to take a practice that many would have looked at as undesirable before he purchased thing has grown it to be one of the top 1% of profit in the country. You know, there are not many practice owners that can say they net 1 million or more in their practice. So for those of you hanging around that 200, 300, even $400,000 of profit, that's great. But I encourage you to reach out to him and let him show you how you can get that up, how you can double it, triple it, quadruple it. I guarantee you, I promise you, that your future self, your family, your kids, maybe even your kids' kids will be glad you did. You know, We do this podcast because we're passionate about what we do. We want to help dentists. 
because we've seen what kind of life dentistry can provide. But, you know, we're also not ashamed to say we also do it to help grow our own business. You know, we work with dentists to help grow their practice and lives and to be able to gain more freedom. We work one-on-one with dentists and we also have an online course called the Lifestyle Practice Academy 2.0 since the new version was just released not too long ago. And this podcast for first time in 2020 was besides referrals from our clients, which we're really proud of, was our biggest source of new clients. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying it like it is. Our clients generally accomplish some pretty darn amazing things while we're working together. Justin, that's one thing I like about you. You just say it like it is. Just Thank you, Steve. And those were, that was a kind compliment. Thank you. Maybe a little bit more mad than scientists, but I mean, back at you. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around how Justin did what <laughs> all that you did working in, for most of your career, a small three-chair practice. Whenever I get the urge to add a sixth op, I, in the back of my mind, I'm like, wait, Justin did all this, but mostly three. And you became a real estate mogul at the same time. So right back at you there, Justin. Well, well thank you, Steve. I'd rather be lucky than good. So that's how it happened. But All luck, all luck. Yep. Enough about us. Let's talk about you, the listener. Today we're going to be talking about one of my or our favorite metrics. And although we're not what I would call overly metric heavy, I feel like we take a balanced approach and look at and evaluate the proper metrics at the proper time. Because we've seen plenty of practices where the doc could recite metrics, every metric known to man. But at the end of the day, the practice was still in the crapper, you know, but the metrics we're going to discuss today is case presentation, or you may call it diagnosis, or you may call it treatment planning. And the reason this is one of our favorite metrics to track is because of a couple reasons. And here's a metaphorical story that we've seen play out many times, but it's not about any one doc in particular. That's why I call it metaphorical. So in this story, Dr. X has a goal of $85,000 a month. Dr. X has been failing to hit said goal and has all these fantastical ideas of why they're not hitting their goal. I've looked at all these different metrics, says Dr. X. Our recall percentage is good. Our case acceptance is good. Our collection rate is fine. We have a low number of cancellations. I figured out I saw 45 patients with blue eyes last month and 24 with brown eyes and insert some other obscure metric here. But we're still failing to hit our goal. So we have him or her go back and calculate the amount of treatment planning they did for the past couple months. And then Dr. X does that and returns and they come back with a number of 70,000. 80,000, 90,000, maybe even 100,000, and bingo. You cannot predictably hit your target number if your treatment planning is below, at, or even slightly above your goal. It's just not 
going to happen. It's definitely not going to hit it consistently. I don't want anybody to call and be like, hey, look, my treatment planning was lower than my production and I still did it, stupid. Maybe you'll get lucky once in a while, but generally it's just not going to happen. And this is why we so often preach that growing your practice depends heavily on focusing on the right problem at the right time. All the focus and energy and work focusing on the wrong thing at the wrong time and the way it translates to growing your practice will at best cause you to waste valuable time and at worst frustrate you and stunt your growth. So here's another lame example. Let's say you're growing a garden in your yard and you plant 20 tomato plants and at the end of the summer or whenever you go to pick your tomatoes, you end up with 10 tomatoes. And you conclude, well, if 20 plants gave me 10 tomatoes, next year I'm going to plant 40 plants. And I'll harvest even more. Or maybe you conclude, perhaps the pH of my soil was off. And next year, I'm going to add more nutrients to the soil. And that will get me more tomatoes. So fast forward a couple years. And you just can't figure out why. You're not harvesting more than 10 to 20 tomatoes from the 40 plants you've now planted. You've added plenty of miracle grow to the soil. So you sit down on your porch to think about it. And as you're sitting there overlooking your non-producing garden, you start to notice rabbits filing in once things have quieted down and you're not walking around the garden area. And they're eating your tomatoes. And a light bulb goes off in your head. Aha! So the next day you go to the store and get some fencing and put it up around your garden. At the end of the season, your 40 plants have produced 100 tomatoes. And you realize for the past several years, you've been trying to correct the wrong problem. And had you focused on the right thing a couple years ago, you would have saved a lot of frustration, time, and money, etc. And been reaping a bigger harvest all along just by focusing on the right problem at the right time. And that, in a nutshell, is how we look at your practice. And from experience, we know working on the right things at the right times creates the safest and fastest results. And that's what we're looking for. Yeah, great points. And also a very nice farming example. That was very organic of you, Justin. Thank you. I try to work those in. Yeah. You know, and improving your diagnosis is most of the time a right thing to do. Yes, you need to get your staff in place and trained. You've got to get patients in the chair with marketing, but you really can't go wrong seeking to improve your diagnosis and treatment planning. And this is because without without getting this right, you could have tons of new patients and not get a real benefit from from them if this area is off. Or if you don't have a lot of new patients, Diagnosing thoroughly is the key to maximizing every patient opportunity that you do have. And this is how some docs with even less than an ideal number of new patients can still produce pretty high numbers in their practice. So you're right. Justin, we need to track our treatment planning numbers. How much should a dentist be uh, treatment planning? Well, Steve, that was a great segue. Yeah. I know it sounds like we, we work in our segues and our handoffs, but we don't. But that was a nice one, Steve. Yep. Threw that softball up for me. So, Steve, glad you asked that question. We generally preach to treatment plan three times your daily goal. 
And if you do that based on historical percentages in dental offices, in most cases, assuming most of your other ducks are in a row, you're going to hit your goal if you do that. Sounds crazy, but it is almost that simple. Now, before you go devil's advocate on me and get silly, know that we would never advocate making up things your patients could not benefit from to jack up the diagnosis numbers. And of course, if you wanted to, I'm sure there are some doctors out there who manage to treat and plan three times their goal, but manage to still sabotage it in some other way. But after talking to hundreds and hundreds of docs over the past five years, I can say the overwhelming majority are underdiagnosing, either because they're afraid to tell patients what they need, or they're afraid to offer services perhaps their patients don't, quote, need, but could benefit from. I'm thinking of aligner therapy or whitening or maybe a new smile. Maybe they're just, and this is the third one, sorry, maybe they're just not seeing the dentistry in front of them. Perhaps they diagnose on a sliding scale. Patient A and patient B both show up in your office with the same exact tooth, but Patient A rolled up in a brand new Tesla, and patient B rolled up in a 1985 Cutlass they borrowed from Derek. So we're going to assume patient A can afford it, and we're going to assume patient B cannot afford it. And therefore, we don't diagnose based off need, but we diagnose based off assumptions. And that's going to bite you in your butt. Maybe patient A is always chipper, and they always are happy to do whatever we suggest. And patient B, although they may do treatment, they give us some pushback. They let us know that they're not happy. Whatever the reason is, you need to knock it off. So I'm going to make it very easy, like we had before, on you to decide what to say to who when you're treatment planning. So listen closely. Get your pens, papers out, take some notes. Siri, listen up. When doing your exam, ask yourself, could this patient benefit from fill in the blank? If yes, you talk about it and you treatment plan it. If the answer is no, then you don't. Again, it's almost really that easy. I can tell you each of those scenarios are real epidemics that a majority of doctors suffer from. Some live in denial and some will admit to it, but maybe they just don't know how to improve. Reach out to us. We will help you. Steve, what do you think? Ever seen any of those scenarios? Well, first of all, I had to Google a cutlass because I don't know what a cutlass looks like, but I can definitely picture Derek driving that car now. Yeah, big pimp in it. Yeah. No, you're exactly right, though. Those are for sure the biggest causes of under-treatment planning. You know, this patient... They say their mouth is fine. This is my first time with them. It could be awkward if I let them know that they really need all this stuff that they didn't know about. Or just like you said, there's no way this patient has this kind of money. Going through all this treatment explanation and phase treatment planning is just kind of a waste of time for this patient. Everybody knows what we're talking about. We, we talk about this a fair amount. And yet, really, we all still make these mistakes to one degree or another. For example, in my practice, I would say probably a a majority of our collections is coming from insurance rather than patients, as in 
patients accept what their insurance pays for or they often stay under their maximum benefit amount. Um, many patients are like this and maybe some practices are more insurance driven than others. But what does this mean? Well, it's easy to treatment plan and present treatment under their max or according to what the insurance covers because you know they'll likely say yes and your treatment planning and phasing everything is a little easier. Now, it's good to maximize people's insurance, no doubt. It lowers their out-of-pocket expense, gets them to say yes to dentistry, but it's very easy to adopt this approach with all your patients and stop presenting the best, most comprehensive plan for patients, and you'll end up missing out on larger cases because you've narrowed your mindset. It's okay to do alternate treatment options and stay under you know someone's insurance if that's what they want, but only after telling patients what they really need and presenting it to them. I had a, a patient a couple weeks ago with really big cavities on her front teeth. She had state insurance, and I actually tried to um, help these folks out with large composites just because I think it's a big service to them in their life. But these ones were like just huge. And I told her, I'm sorry, these really just, just need crowns. And whenever we fix them, we need to fix them right. So we gave her her treatment plan. She said no. And I kind of moved right along. Well, I walk into an op last week and there's this lady and she's sitting there ready to self pay for all these anterior crowns. I never thought that she would do that. I didn't think she'd even come back to the office or much less be able to come up with that money. But I'm glad I presented treatment in the comprehensive and honest way. It was far better for her and it's also better for me. So you're right. We can't take those mental shortcuts. Yeah. I had that happen to me several times. It was very eye-opening. When you know we try to practice what we preach and I would tell the patient, exactly what I thought they need, even though I, I knew, or I, I thought, I assumed there'd be no way they'll ever do this. They can't afford it. They wouldn't want to do it, whatever it is. And they ended up doing it. And I, in those moments, I was so glad I stuck to my guns and did what I knew to do as opposed to grade on that sliding scale of, well, this patient needs this, but they drove this car and they're wearing this shirt and their hair looks this way. So that I know they'll never do it. They can't afford it, whatever. So that was a good example, good reminder to stick to your guns and do what you're supposed to do, and it'll pay off if you're consistent. Let's move on to why we use our case presentation as a gateway drug, so to speak. And the reason is because once we know what that number is, then it points us in the direction to fix it. You know, if you're failing to hit your goal or the production numbers you want to, and you track your case presentation number and it's low, you don't need to go get on your front desk case for not filling your schedule. You don't need to worry about your case acceptance number yet. You don't need to be focused on a lot of things. You know, you need to focus on diagnosis and perhaps new patient flow in that example. But I will say with this caveat of don't use it as an excuse because way more often I see clients with more than enough new patients, but they'll say, that's why they're failing to diagnose. Conversely, let's flip it. Let's say you're failing to hit the numbers you want to, and you track your diagnosis for a couple weeks or months, and we see you are diagnosing three times your daily goal. Then we know that new patient numbers and or diagnosis are not the problem. 
Then we can start to look at things like customer experience, uh, the rapport that's being built, case acceptance. How is your front desk closing the deal to get patients on your schedule? See, the diagnosis number creates a fork in the road. We want to create that fork. To fix the problem, we need to know, do we head this way or do we head that way? But don't waste a lot of time heading down the wrong path to fix the right problem. And that's what we see more often than not. Even if docs recognize the problem, they don't always know where and how to fix it. Yeah, you're definitely right. Until you're diagnosing enough, you can't say what areas really need to be improved. It's it's kind of if you had a flow chart of diagnosing where the problem is in your practice, your treatment planning needs to be pretty close to the top of that. Once you're treatment planning enough, then you can figure out where the ball's being dropped. Yep, exactly. So let's move on. How do you figure out what you're actually diagnosing? Because 99% of the time, this is the question we get. You know, when we mention this, we're like, oh my gosh, how do I figure out this number? This has got to be like calculus seven. And for some of you, your practice management software may track it. My favorite practice dental office tracker system is Divergent. And I know they track it. But some of you using Practice by Numbers or Dental Intel, I'm assuming they track it as well. However, you can always just figure it out by hand, as I did many years ago on my stone tablet, you know, where there's a day sheet at the front desk and my front desk person would write down in that patient's block the number of treatment planning I did on that patient. And then at the end of the day, we took 12 seconds and added those numbers up and we got to the total number for the day. So if you do that every day, you can flip through the sheets. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. So bottom line, we don't really care how you track it. Just track it. Just figure it out. Take it upon yourself to come up with that mythical number. Next question we get, what about people who are who already have things treatment planned from previous appointments? Do those get included or do they not? For those things, we say you can include them. If you bring them up and present them again when the patient's in, if you're afraid to bring them up because you mentioned them before and the patient didn't get them done, therefore, they're never going to want to do them and you're never going to mention them again, then no, don't include them. But hopefully you sense the sarcasm there because I was laying it on pretty thick. And you know you need to bring those things up again, in which case, yes, add it. Steve, any other tricks you have for this? No, I I think you cover the different ways well. You know, there's fancy ways to track this number. But really, I actually like your old-fashioned, I mean, it's not that old-fashioned, you know, way. That hurts. That hurts, Steve. (laughs) Yeah. You know, your front desk or whoever puts this together, they, while they're totaling the numbers, they can also record on a Google Doc or some similar, you know, way to remember this, any large treatment plans that need to be followed up on. So, you know, this patient was pretty serious about implants or doing a lot of fixed work, but they didn't schedule today. Yeah, we're going to add that up in the treatment plan that we presented, but we're also going to, since we're listing everything out, we're going to follow up on it. One dentist I'm working with right now, he's he's a real stud. One of his strengths is he is super high, high level organization, really good at data keeping. And he has a spreadsheet for everybody who 
express any interest in or curiosity in aligners. He has another list for implants, basically all of this stuff. And then during November last month, when everyone's office schedule fall, fell apart with the six-month recall of the COVID shutdown, he reached out to everybody on that list. And basically, their office said, we have a special you know, few hundred dollars off your implant or your aligners if we do it this month. And he started several aligner cases that month. So yes, there's several ways to track this treatment planning number. But on a side note, you know, tracking them to be able to follow up on can be helpful as well. Yep, for sure. That's a cool story. Good for him. You know, bottom line, this is a great number to track. Even if you're hitting your goals, it's important to have a baseline because to me, it's like a fail safe. You know, if you've been hitting your numbers or goals consistently, and let's say you notice a dip, then if you know what you were treatment planning when things were going well, you can track again when things aren't going as well and compare the two numbers. Hey, six months ago, we were hitting our goals consistently. We were killing it. I know what we were treat. I know at that time we were treatment planning on average this amount per day. I'm going to do a spot check right now because the last couple of months we haven't been. You check it and notice, yep, the treatment planning has dipped. You figure it out and correctly adjust to fix it. Or you see, no, treatment planning's still been consistent, but the numbers have still dropped. And then it's going to point you in another direction. So you don't have to waste valuable time assessing where the real issue is. You know, okay. This is still good, so it's got to be over on this side of the fork in the road where I need to fix. Again, it's very important. And, you know, when we all have times when we do better than others, and during those times that we're not doing better than others, I want to be able to go in and diagnose what the heck's going on as quickly as possible. So this is another reason I look at it as like a fail safe. One last thing that I know none of you listening would do. But I see it all the freaking time. Let's say you realized your treatment planning number was low. You're saying, I didn't hit my goals. I'm going to track my treatment planning. Oh, yep, it's low. You begin focusing on it. And you get it to where it needs to be. And the next month, you have your best month ever, which is a real-life scenario we see often. You're on top of the world. You've got this dental thing figured out. And then the next month, you drop 20%. And again, I saw this with myself. And I see it play out more times than I can count, even though I warn against it. And then you go back and you look at your treatment plan planning numbers during the month prior when you were killing it. So which would be the month prior before the numbers dropped. And you look at it and you see during that time you were killing it, treatment planning numbers dipped again. Very common. It's because you got comfortable. You started thinking, we're rolling. This tooth can wait. I don't need a diagnosis. Now I'll talk to this patient about it next time. I'll get it in the next six months from now. Right now we're rolling. Nothing can stop us. We're on top of the world. Then the following month, it bites you in the butt. When you're doing good, listen to me here. When you're doing good, it's a time to press down on the accelerator. It's time to hit the gas because that's how you get ahead. That's how you lock in the gains. Anybody can have a good month, a one-off, but we want to consistently string them together. So watch out for that because I'm telling you, it is a real phenomenon and no one thinks they will do it. Or if they think, oh, if I do that, that'd be 
you know, the least of my problems, but no, it's not the least of your problems. So don't let that happen to you. Don't take your eyes off the ball. Yeah. Glad you added this point, Justin, you know, dentistry is kind of a funny business because when we perform well, you know, diagnosing and communicating, we don't do that work until a week or two later. And then we don't see the results in collections or money in the bank until, you know, four or six weeks after that. So we can feel great right now doing production that we diagnosed and pitched last week, or we may feel good about our big month we're having when really it was because of all the hard work we did last month. But if we're, you know, just enjoying our production now and we take our eyes off the treatment planning, we'll be scratching our heads a couple weeks later going, you know, wondering what's going on, just like you said. That's why you want to track both numbers. If you're tracking your production and your treatment planning, so what's getting done and what's getting put out there at the same time, all the time, you're covering both your bases and you're not going to have this up and down between months. It's going to be more of a kind of a steady flow. Yep. Good point. And I've actually, I've seen that, you know, like when I see divergent reports, you know, you can look back and there's a direct correlation from the treatment planning the month before to the following month's production. And you can almost plot it on a graph. And you can almost get to the point, if you've watched it long enough, you've tracked it long enough, you can almost say, well, you know, track it to say, well, I know if I treatment plan this much, I'm going to do about this much, much in production. It's almost that accurate a lot of times. So, yeah, it was crazy. Just I know. So I kind of reviewed end of year stuff and I, I found I did like 20 implants during um, May and early June. And like almost none the rest of the year. And I was like, what in the world? What? And I realized because in April, you know, I just had things were so slow. I just talked with patients a lot longer. I was, I was diagnosing more because I didn't have as many patients with the shutdown. And I realized all this high, high end production just came from more speaking and treatment planning with patients. So, yeah. I have actually a story just just like what you just said, because it's real. I know people just say we're just using these stories, but these are real stories if you you look at them. I had the same thing with um, a husband and wife client in, um, I think it was, it was either October or November. Like we were, you know, we were, I wouldn't say nervous, but we were concerned because it was that six months directly from the COVID shutdown. Hygiene was really empty. We're like, man, we really don't want to kill um, the momentum we've had since you've been back, you know, they've been going up every month and, but they're like, we've got nothing on the books that month. You know, we tried to fill, we tried to call recall, advertise, whatever, but it was just looking empty. And like everyone was hyper focused and kind of freaking out on that month. And then um, we talked at the end of the month, it was their ended up being like their best month ever by like 20,000 because they were so hyper focused. You know, selling ortho cases, selling implants, selling whatever, any treatment that needed it, you know, they knew they had to have those conversations that sometimes they didn't, quote, need to have to hit the goals. And they ended up killing it, which was such a good eye opener, because I know that's the case with many docs. If you have a gun to your head, if you know you don't have any production on the books and you got to do whatever you can do, it shows you like, oh, maybe I'm leaving more on the table than I thought. Yeah. Yeah, very eye-opener. So it's a great eye-opener. And I know that's the case for many practices. If you had a gun up to your head or you're you're super concerned, I'm not going to hit my numbers next month, and you pour it on, most of us probably have an extra 20000 30000 plus 
sitting on the books if we had to do it. So that's it for today, guys. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch, please contact us at Steve, Derek, or Justin at lifestylepractice.com. And if you like any of the podcast, we ask for that you'd leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. We know it's a pain in the butt to do, but I can tell you that we are sincerely grateful when you do that. It helps us. So thank you. And uh, let's just freaking, let's turn this corner. Let's flip that page on the calendar and let's freaking dominate 2021. So looking forward to a good year with all of you. And we'll talk to you next week. Peace. Peace. Jump without a net.